Welcome to Spark, practices and habits that spark a deeper love. In this series, we're listening to stories from different people in the community about how what they do in their everyday lives connects to God's loving and renewing work in the world. I have conversations every week that inspire me as I learn from and about other people. Our everyday lives really can spark a deeper love. This week, we hear from Anai, Kyle, and Santiago Ulick. Anai spends her time as an educator, specifically an instructional coach at a Title I school. In the fall, she'll transition to the role of intern assistant principal. Kyle is a charge nurse and has been working at a small medical facility for the last eight years in different capacities. Santiago just had his second birthday celebration and likes eggs and enjoys the outdoors and being with his friends. Today, we enjoy hearing and learning practices from their everyday lives. Well, thanks so much, Kyle and I, for joining us today on the podcast. Our pleasure. We'll just have a little bit of a chit chat. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Santiago, yeah. As you know, we're talking about um, just the way that God shows up in our everyday lives, loving and renewing presence. And so just thought maybe it would be interesting to hear from both of you, like what are some of the things that fill um, your your days? Can I start, babe? You start us off. <laughs> you like bringing it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so I uh, was an, an instructional coach. Um, at a Title One school, um, and that's just a like very needs-based school. Um, ninety-five percent of our student population is on free or reduced lunch. Um, and there's twenty-seven languages spoken. A lot of refugees and um students that have have experienced trauma. And this now we're on spring, not not spring break. Now we're on summer break. Um, and so what I do day to day changes in the summer because I'm with this little guy for the entire day versus going to work uh, Mommy, during the regular Mommy, school year. Mommy, Mommy. Um, Mommy. And next year, this August, I'll be starting as the um, intern assistant principal at my same school. So I'm excited for that transition. Uh, But specifically, you were asking how God shows up in our lives. It's one of the best things that I like about my job. I love about my job is um, just interacting with people and seeing God show up in in the funny moments in interacting with kids and um, and the tough moments interacting with adults um, and just in in the details of like mom life as well. Um, I can get into specifics, but I'll let Kyle introduce himself. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I am a registered nurse, I'm an RN, have been for about four years now. Mm -hmm. And um, about halfway through that four years, I became a charge nurse or kind of a supervisory nurse. So I provide support to nurses who are on the floor. Um, There's not just because of COVID, but just in general, healthcare is filled with a lot of new graduates who 
don't have a lot of experience and yeah. I four years of experience don't consider myself an experienced nurse but it's an incredibly young field and so people need help just kind of orienting to a new place and I've I've been a nurse for four years, but I've been at the same hospital I've worked at now for almost eight years. And so uh, I have experience as a nurse, but also as a unit coordinator and also as a telemetry tech. So all that experience kind of comes together to lend me the ability to be able to assist those who are brand new or or more experienced than me and just have different experiences. And so um, I do that three days a week, which lends me the opportunity to spend a lot of time with Santiago on my days off, uh, but also be able to enjoy the the beautiful scenery that Utah has to offer. It's interesting because you both, especially having mentioned COVID, Kyle, like I think about you as a family unit, like education and nursing, like was pretty huge upheaval that you experienced. So it would love to hear maybe even just your experiences out talking about that and then it's really interesting to think of how you both work in such people-oriented jobs and have strong administrative skills clearly <laughs> like you're moving into that you were said you were an instructional coach and I and then be interesting to hear more about what that is and then now moving into the assistant principal and you Kyle too working as a nurse and then moving into this role as a charge nurse like that's a lot of questions, but just interested to know how um like the experience for both of you during COVID and then just some of the the overlap that you feel like maybe you've had in the last few years in your roles. Yeah. Um I think it's been very um eye-opening for me to to have married um a nurse and charge nurse and I would have never thought there were similarities between education and nursing. And then as we like come home and discuss and talk about work and our patients. And, and like you said, it's a very people oriented, um, the real people oriented professions where you have to like really be devoted to caring for others. Yeah. You just like see Thank the you. similarities and like the parallel circumstances and experiences we share. Um, so that's been really um, interesting to like he'll say things and I'm like oh wow that happened to us or we have something similar or this is, same experience happened specifically I'm not maybe you can remember <laughs> but COVID wise I feel like it revolutionized education it forced us to make moves that we were not ready to make um and the whole time it was it was, it was good. There was good that came out of it, but I was just reminded of like the resilience of, of teachers mm -hmm. and um, the people I work with to like, our, our jobs are so important that we don't have the luxury to be like, uh, not being solution oriented. We have to educate these kids and we're like breaking cycles of poverty. And sometimes our classrooms are the only safe space that some of our students experience and mm -hmm. so we don't have a choice of figuring things out slowly we had to be like okay what's the best way to like make them feel cared get them the resources they need and teach them about social studies and health and reading 
Um, so that was, that was, it was tough, but I was just reminded that we can do many things if we like really focus on our goal. Um, now speaking to the work that we did during COVID, it was a little bit different. Um, as a long-term acute care hospital, we, all of our patients come from other hospitals. And so the challenge of taking care of these patients, the challenge of a brand new, you know, virus that we hadn't seen before in this capacity. And so there's medical challenges associated with it, but there was also, there was a lot of staffing challenges associated with it. People leaving the field because they were tired and overworked and um, using a lot of kind of what I described to an eye as substitute nurses, agency nurses or travel nurses, people who kind of just step in sort of last second to fill in. They don't work for the facility, but they're able to just kind of step in and um, provide, provide role as a nurse and take care of patients. And so there's, there's challenges there as a supervising nurse. It's my role to try to help orient these people who don't get to go through six weeks of orientation like our own nurses do and try to orient them to our facility in a matter of 20, 30 minutes and say, you've got this, but you know, come see me when you have any questions. So, um, yeah. And, and you volunteer during COVID too, which I thought was pretty mm -hmm. special. <laughs> Uh, just yeah, that was. I'm I'm bragging about him because he didn't mention it. Early on, I think when when testing was still very new, and there wasn't a lot of testing, and so there was an opportunity to serve with Salt Lake Medical Reserve Corps, and mm -hmm. so I did a small bit of that um, locally, just providing tests to people and providing what information we did know to them, so they. Mm -hmm. uh, so they knew what you know what a positive test meant, what a negative test meant, what the safety steps were in place to what they should do if they did test positive. And so, as a nurse, I had a little bit of that background information, but COVID was new to all of us, and so there was a lot of challenges. Wavo, wavo, wavo. Does he want an egg? Is that to you right now, Santiago? Just to kind of connect it again, I suppose I, in my job, I, I think it's still important to remember faith. And when I do struggle, I try to really think to God as well and and pray. Um, I think I think it is part of what's led me to be to allow myself to have challenges and learn from challenges is knowing that I'm not in it alone. I have God with me on um, every step of my journey and I feel like I'm doing his work. Those are the things that get me through those tough days. I'm glad you brought that around and I and connected to God's presence and not being alone and going through challenges or the tough moments, believing you have presence with you, God's presence with you. Um, and it and the things that you said about resiliency and resiliency during COVID, um, and then just generally thinking about some of the stuff that you said that you're in this Title I school and breaking generational poverty, that there's 27 
language spoke uh, languages that are spoken in your school what do you feel like I mean as an educator like what it's clearly a value that you would be in that space like what do you what what drew you to um, being in that context specifically? Hi. Yeah. Hi. Uh, Hi. Specifically, Hi. Um, Hi. being a, a, an educator of color, I just wanted to make sure I was close to um, uh -oh. the demographics that reflected me. And so before, when I was a teacher, I was in a, a dual immersion te uh, position and um, teaching like a mostly Hispanic population. And it was tough for me to leave that community. And I believe kind of in, in what you were talking about earlier about how God shows up. Um, I feel like God presented this opportunity and I couldn't see what, why, I would leave my community that I loved to go to another school that I wasn't as comfortable or familiar with because I went from being an integral part because I speak Spanish and a lot of those parents could communicate with me to a place where I can't contribute to the Swahili population or like the, the Afghan immigrants. And so that was tough at first, but I really think that God found a spot for me that uh, kind of highlighted other strengths I had. And even though we don't, I, I still don't speak Swahili, I, I was able to connect with th those communities and, and those parents and those students. I love those students in, in other special ways. And so just that value of making a difference and supporting who I can um, I think is what drew me to stay even. And um, as I shift into an admin position, it's very, well, I don't want to say rare because it's like never happened that they let me stay, that they would have let me stay at a school, but that's where kind of my heart is. And I've, I've it, you know, it's a special place um, in all the Salt Lake Valley where you kind of don't consider it to be diverse to find this little nut, like golden nugget um, and so it's very special that they've let me be an intern assistant principal next year there. And mm -hmm. I'm excited to see how, yeah, how, how I can support them still. I love that, um, the words that you're using that you like love, while there may not be the language that you were used to using elsewhere, that you found ways to love the students in some other really special ways. Um, and the hi, 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 <laughs> and um, yeah, and that now you have this other opportunity because your heart is there. I think that that in itself like speaks so deeply of like the like just how the pre like presence is really important and that I don't know just that sense that um being with people and seeing people and supporting people like is the gift that we give and it's a gift that we receive um from each other and from God and so it just feels um really beautiful to hear you articulate it that way Oh, good. Well, thanks for re-articulating it because I felt like I was rambling. So it's nice <laughs> for you to articulate it. <laughs> Not at all.
And maybe then, Kyle, it'd be interesting to hear you talk about, like, since we've kind of gone down the road of, like, maybe what drew you to nursing? Like, what was it about nursing? Like, we've heard some some from Anai, like, where her heart is in relation to her work. Like, I would love to hear, like, what drew you into nursing? Yeah, it's it's funny that Anai talked about her experience working with people with all these different backgrounds, because that's sort of what got me into nursing in the first place, or the desire to work in healthcare, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, uh, I was born into a Lutheran church, and growing up in Lutheran church, we went on mission trips, and those mission trips were often abroad, uh, places like Bolivia, South Sudan, Uganda, and then later to Kenya. And so it was experiences uh, across the world that inspired me to want to pursue uh, a career in which I could maybe return to those places and provide um, some tangible support to those people. Um, but then those the, the trip to Kenya was a medical mission trip. Mm-hmm. And it was during that trip, we were there for a week and we did a medical clinic over that week and treated thousands of patients in the span of just a few days. People walked miles away to be seen. And there was doctors on the team and nurses. And at the time I wasn't a nurse, but I was hoping to go to nursing school. Oh. And it was really limited what we could do. And so there was frustration in that. It was a really eye-opening trip. And you know, you first time going on a medical mission trip, you think you're gonna go and cure the world. And then you get there and you realize you're like, whoa, like we, we can't do everything that we want to do. We can't bring all the materials we need, all the electronics we need, all the equipment we need. And and so it it was it was a wonderful trip. You know, met a lot of incredible people on that trip. And it was also staggering how difficult it was to accept that maybe this dream of being able to um, serve in medical missions in this capacity wasn't going to be possible. And so that was a little bit of a challenge in 2014, but I still was inspired to want to pursue a career in healthcare. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was working as a as a cardiac technician, so I did, I monitored cardiac rhythms on patients who were in the hospital, um, and then decided that the next logical step was to become a nurse, because I worked with a lot of nurses in that role, and I, I saw what their jobs were like, I saw what their day-to-day was like, and how I fit into that, and so then when I moved to Utah, after a year, I went to, to nursing school at the U, and um, and the whole time I've been working at the same hospital. Hi, hi. Um, which has been really good in terms of really digging roots into one facility. And I like the, the facility that I'm at is, is a tremendous facility that takes care of a really unique population of patients. Hmm. Um, and it's a much smaller facility. Uh, we only have 38 beds at this time. Um, and but because of the size of the facility it, it feels much more like a, a family versus a mm. large organization and i really like that aspect of it and having been there for 70 years i'm with people who have been there twice as long as me or more 
and people who are brand new. And so there's, there's just a lot of different backgrounds, um, different experiences, and it's one of the things I really like about the facility that I'm at. It's really, um, I don't know, like in even in talking, like I've known you both for a, a minute <laughs> over time. And I think the thing that's always struck me about both of you is just like the word, like maybe the word that comes to mind is like care, that you have like a deep sense of care in you towards others, um, like a sense of wanting to see other people and move towards other people in really like tangible and helpful ways. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yes, emotionally, but but like like in practical, like helpful um actionable and I think that even came through in your story Kyle like you're out on the mission field and the thing that's frustrating is like oh this is not enough it's not as practical maybe as you'd wanted it to be and then but that passion and motivation like then leads you to to nursing um when you think about both of the roles that you have what would you say um what is one of the most meaningful things that you get to um, in your work that you get to be a part of? For me, over the years, um, I, I've i been in education since 2011. Uh, so that's all. How many years? Maybe? 12 years. 12 years. Um, and so I've, I've been able to see um, some students grow. And... Um, and sometimes you don't see the fruits of your labor, which could be a little not discouraging because you have to have faith that you're doing, you know, the best and you're doing what's good. Um, but when you get to see some students, when they go to college, um, I so I went to Westminster College and some of the students I student taught went, ended up going there. And uh they'd say like, you were the first person I met that like went to college and went to the best college in the state. And so that's where, that's when I decided that's where I wanted to go. And then they go and they do better things there than you ever did. And there's such an impact to the world. It's stuff like that, that really re-energizes me and fuels the continued faith because then I'm like I don't know how to describe it, but if then I'm like, okay, that's that's why we do things, even though you know I I had faith that if they wouldn't have if I wouldn't have seen them be successful that I knew in my heart that they would be or that my efforts helped them in some way. It's I don't know those things that kind of do really make you feel like you are doing the right like on the right path your decisions are good you know good ones mm-hmm. yeah it's like that mirror back like you you have an imagination and a belief in these kids and then when they reflect back to you that like your presence gave them the ability to believe in themselves too like that like I can see how that would really motivate you um, because like the equation, you know, it's like, yeah, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm doing this because I believe in you and like for them to see you and then believe in themselves is, I can see why you would name that as really meaningful to you. Yeah, it's the, 
it's it's really special. Um, there's a lot of other things that re-energize you in the day-to-day, but those are the ones that you're like, wow. <laughs> like that's that. Or, I mean, in the day-to-day, it's when you you kind of don't see, you know, that you see the kids start to use the words you use. Like, are you okay when a friend gets hurt? Okay, I just want to make sure you're okay because first we need to make sure you're okay. Like those are those are the day-to-day. Those are the things that you're like, okay, there's hope in the world. But, but long-term, when they grow up and they get through junior high and high school and you're like, did it even make a difference? It's nice to know that it did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what about for you, Kyle? What would you say is like something that's really meaningful for you in, in that yeah. space of nursing? I'd say there's there's two things, right? There's there's the things that energize you as a nurse. There's um, in long-term acute care uh, hospitals, like the one I work in, patients stay for an average of three to five weeks. So they're there for a really long time. And so you kind of get to know folks. Some patients are there longer, some patients are there shorter. And so you see a lot of patients that just need time to get better. Uh, one example could be a traumatic brain injury from a car crash and um, they're debilitated they're not sound neurologically when they show up but then by the time they leave they're much clearer and they're gaining their strength back they're gaining some mobility and so it's really energizing when you get to see them leave walk out the door even in a wheelchair just in a much better place than when they came in um some patients will come back and say hi and, and half the time you don't recognize them because when they were at our facility they were in such a tough state and so that's certainly energizing to to see people get better uh, to see people recover and to get back to living what's going to be their new normal and sometimes frequently not where they were before they were hospitalized so it's hard to get back to where one was before hospitalization now in on the contrary, it's not something that energizes a nurse, but something that's really meaningful um, to me is end-of-life care. Um, like I said, a lot of patients come to us needing a lot of time to get better, and sometimes that's just it's not in the cards for folks. And so um, whether it's the patient themselves being able to wrap their head around what's happening or whether it's the family, uh, a lot of times it's the family who have a hard time accepting um, that their family is not going to make it or their friends. And um, it can be a long process of education, education for the patient, for the family, and, and trying to help them understand, even if you did get better, what would your life look like after this best case scenario, worst case scenario? And, and so uh, to me, end of life can be a really meaningful thing because um being sick isn't easy being in the hospital isn't easy um, and being critically ill and not able to um, you know control your own words let alone your own bowels is is something that's really tough to to live through for weeks or months and yeah. to finally see people reach the peace can be a beautiful thing as for the, for the patient and for their families. Uh, so that's one of the most meaningful things is when you see someone who's suffering no longer suffering. Mm-hmm. 
it's tough, but it's, it's reality and it's definitely one of the most meaningful things that I see. I think um, in the same way that I was reflecting back to Anai, like just that feeling from both of you that you were just companions to people. Like whether it's like a companion to a kid or companion to someone who's really sick and getting better or companion to like a family and people who are um, at end of life. Um, and that to me, like I know just talking recently about how God shows up in the everyday and it's like to me that is such an embodied reality of like a presence that we have presence with us and that presence is embodied and um, and I know there's lots of people that aren't people of faith that do similar kinds of things, but um, I think the story that it tells is that we are companioned and that we're not alone. And I think that's just the way that you two describe what you do is just like comes um, vividly that you both companion people. If you would talk about something that you would want to change, I don't know if that's really the right. <laughs> do you want that question or what kind of, yeah. what do you want that? Okay, great. Okay. What would, what would kind of change would you imagine in the space that you're in? In education? Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> well, Sina, I said yes to the question mm. now because <laughs> I was thinking mostly in myself. Um, Oh, that's fine. We can go. That's yeah. No, let's do that. What kind of change would you like to see in yourself? And I, I like the way you received that question. I, I, I think I'm very, I think I'm good at my job. I'm very good at my job. And I worked hard to be really good at my job. I've gone back to school numerous times and um, I'm, I, I do think we're very caring and and we are companions. And sometimes I feel like my energy is depleted because I love my work and I love those kids that I am left with like a half empty <laughs> tank when I get home. And that to me has been the hardest part because um, I feel like I should also have an, a full tank at home and be a companion to my son and my parents and my family and my husband. And that's kind of where I, I let it waver. I let it kind of, just cause I, I know our jobs are so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like those, sometimes I feel like those kids or those, the people we're working with eight hours a day need it more that, than at home and that's not always the case I maybe that's just an excuse I've made in my head and so if I could change anything it would be somehow to be yeah. a full tank at work <laughs> a full tank yeah. at home um but that's what's been best about our companionship is that I'm not judged for coming home half empty like he's there to fill me yeah. back up and um that's what I appreciate and makes me like fall in love all over again um because someone has to help me fill it back up for the next day but mm -hmm. it yeah 
it's sometimes it's just kind of like, am I doing enough to fill you up for the next day too? And that's what kind of yeah. breaks me. Yeah. And, but in education, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> respect. Yeah, respect. I feel like if, if, if both of our professions, maybe with COVID, I feel like nursing and the medical field got a little more respect, but I feel like we still don't have mm -hmm. the respect of society. We don't get paid yeah. the way we should. Um, not like, I think CNAs, you know, I think they do a lot of work. I think yeah. like I'm in a different position. Yeah. And so I see teachers and paras, custodians. I just feel like we just need to be more respectful of the work that everybody is doing, not just the top people. I just want to validate that and maybe one question I would have then after that well first it makes sense to me that you would feel that tension of giving a lot and wanting to be able to give and not having anything and so just appreciate that vulnerability and acknowledgement and honesty and then as you relate to change and people like res like the respect that everyone is due that doesn't get it when you think about like a community, like how could how can we support in that desire for change? Like how can we support in um like championing or being people that um bring bring that kind of respect? Like what would you say we can do we can do to be be conduits of respect? Uh we at um, at work, we practice positive assumptions. And I think, you know, starting with like positive assumptions of, yeah. of where everybody, what the hard work everyone is trying to do and just joining in, in the yeah. everyday instead of, um, and I guess appreciating what I've, yeah. what I've loved about the people I look up to yeah. is that yeah. they, yeah. Yeah. don't minimize the work that everybody yeah. does um from like the lunch ladies to the janitors everybody's work is important and is kind of braided in the the work we all do and I think appreciation for for those jobs and those roles um and talking to people it, it, similar to what you were saying like connecting uh, I like I connect with the janitors I work with and I, I really love that part of my day because um, again I, I feel like they I've, I've talked to them about it I feel like sometimes I'm the only other person that they talk to or calls them by their name or calls them with excitement like hey how are you doing and like you can see the the change in their face and I feel like if we respect everyone then we can start mm -hmm. And you know their name. And you know, and you, know and you really do care about them genuinely. Um, then we can work on being supportive of each other. I think that's such a tangible and practical practice, like showing up with positive assumptions and then, um, yeah, getting to know people by name. And then genuinely, um, it's like a practice of respect. 
Like, and if, if as a society, we practice that, like the practice of respect, um, I think there would be a lot more um, equity. Yes. We would, we would value the role that each person takes in society, the communal endeavor that they're, the way they're contributing to this communal endeavor. And there would be a kind of dignity that is, is shared instead of only located in certain types of positions, ones with power or money or prestige. And so I think that's such a valuable thing to hear from you and I is that we can practice respect, like in our everyday lives, like we really can. Yeah. <laughs> How about for you, Kyle? Like what change, what change? And I like the way that and I went with it, like the internal change and then the change that she would like to see in the space around her and then how can we support in that? Um, wow. Ask me how I would change the healthcare field. <laughs> I'm sure you think it's perfect. I feel like we don't have enough time for that conversation, Heather. <laughs> well, how many times you go out for tea and have enough time for that conversation? <laughs> um, but so not looking at the whole healthcare field because that is a much larger <laughs> conversation. Um, but trying to look like specifically at kind of the arena in which I work. Um, I think in I and I really, our professions do share a lot of similarities um, in, in hospitals. You have housekeepers, you have doctors and, and everyone in between. And, and there's just, there's so many different parts that have to go together to operate a hospital, right? And even a hospital that, only has 38 rooms I mean, there's still still the kitchen there's still administration there's still folks working the floor I mean there's just so many moving parts that go together and and it just seems like people in both our professions are just exhausted and and so I guess I would just say that rest right mm -hmm. that people would find that rest I mean people that I work with willingly work five or six 12 hour shifts a week. They mm -hmm. willingly sign up for those shifts. And um, I choose to just work my three days a week so that I can maximize my rest and maximize time with Santiago, time at home. And um, I guess, yeah, prayer for healthcare fields that people would just find rest because so many people really tired and exhausted and and they leave the field because of it they quit they pursue careers in other fields they just they leave healthcare because they're exhausted and so there was a answer as to how people could find rest and that would probably be one of the, the first things I change hmm. because I mean right you're caring for others and it's at times it's so hard to care for oneself and care for your patient at the same time. Patients who need you, a family that needs you at home, children that need you, just, just getting in a lot of directions. And so um, I'm grateful. I feel like my work-life balance is really good. Or three days a week is, I find is a healthy amount for me. Mm -hmm. The stress of work balanced out by time that's not at work and so I'm I'm really grateful for that but I know there's there's a lot of people out there that, that don't have that not only in healthcare but 
and education and, and so many other areas. So for me, it would be rest. Hmm. I think that's such a wonderful thing to to say. That the, like seeing the need for it, acknowledging that not everyone can have it and still like prioritizing it in your own value. Like what is what is some of your practices of rest? What does rest look like for you? Hmm. Planning it, prioritizing mm -hmm. it. Asking for it. Asking for it, right? I need an early night to sleep, asking for it, right? Trying to communicate what that looks like, right? Not just assuming that an I knows I need to go to bed early tonight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For a prime example, she read me like a book last night. And, uh, I just needed to go to bed early because I had to work today. And so she, you know, the communication is super important there, but also for me, the, the beauty of living in Utah, the, the outdoors is, is certainly an area that well, may not always be physically resting, but is certainly mentally and can, and can be spiritually um, a place to find rest. And, and when I do have the time to, to do those things, it's certainly something I, I seek out. And what kind of things are those? What do you both like to do outside in the beautiful Utah? Mm. Uh, you know, stuff is as rowdy as downhill mountain biking or as, as quiet as playing nine holes of golf by myself, um, skiing in the middle of a winter storm for me. Um, camping. Camping. It's one that we really want to introduce Santiago to because we think that's something he loves being in the outdoors. He loves being outside and uh, outside. You want to go outside? We'll see it for a little bit later, but we'll go outside. So being able to introduce him to, to that and watch his joy expand in those things. It's beautiful. Yeah, we're going to go outside a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dangerous word outside. It's like you said it. Now it's time for, he's asking. He's asking for what he wants. Thank you for using your words. We'll go outside in 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. I think that's so good. Like the rest and then like actually planning for it. You know, sometimes it can be a concept that we know, but then it's it doesn't, it kind of falls through. So planning for it and asking for it. And then knowing that like rest doesn't necessarily mean a nap. I think that's what I liked about what you said, Kyle. It's like, yeah, rest is like golfing or riding a bicycle or going to a ski place in a storm. You know, for some people that might not feel at rest, but I think it gives that imagination of how that practice can find its way. It's something completely different than caring and being present to somebody and organizing, which is why it sounds like it's restful. Yeah, the, the tranquility and, and solitude of it all is, is can be really surreal, right? Especially the example of skiing in the middle of a snowstorm where you you don't know how close the nearest person is you just you know what downhill is and you know you know where to go from here but it's it's a surreal experience i know it's somehow restful yeah <laughs> find more activity restful but for me it's the disconnection i feel like in my work environment we go like 1200 miles an hour 
And um, sometimes we lose sight of the big picture because we get caught up in like the little day-to-day -day, um, activities that when I, I disconnect or have the time away, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that important. Mm. Okay, like in the grand scheme of things, mm. I don't have to stress out about that. I can, you know, we can let that go. Um, it just makes you, it, it slows you down. It reminds you like, what what is our ultimate goal? Kind of zone in. <laughs> I think that's really true for a lot of things like the like the rest allows for that perspective taking and I think stepping away allows that perspective to return like the rest gives that yeah well I'm thankful for all three of you that you are all here this evening and and um just I feel like the, the conversations are here to spark in us a deeper love and I think in talking to both of you and what you do and like just the honesty of where it feels like newness could come like I really do think it's motivating and it does spark these kinds of conversations really do spark like deeper love in us so I feel grateful for the time you've given to it thank you Heather thank you yeah. Thank you for putting up with us. <laughs> putting up with all three of us. The, the snapshot in our, in our real life. No, I think it's so perfect. And the little hello interruptions are just great. Bye-bye. Thank you, Tia. Oh, thank you so much, both of you, all three of you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, Heather. Okay, ciao, ciao. See you soon.